Welcome to Trivially Crucial, where we believe every vision of the past, journey home, legendary warrior, and noble sacrifice are important and critical to our lives, no matter how unimportant a story may seem. I'm Mandy. And I'm Michael. And this this podcast is not the beginning, as there are neither beginnings nor endings in the turning of the wheel of time, but it is a beginning. Today, we're continuing our discussion on the Wheel of Time. Specifically, we're discussing books four and five, which are The Shadow Rising and The Fires of Heaven. Yep, that's right. Uh, So I literally just finished The Fires of Heaven maybe about a day and a half ago, less than two full days ago. Um, And I have a lot of thoughts. Uh, But I also, this morning, finished listening to our previous recording, and I have a lot of follow-up thoughts before we get to talking about these books. Great. Uh, I want to hear your follow-up thoughts. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So uh, I basically took notes as I was listening to anything that we said in the previous uh, episode. It was really fun to hear kind of what has changed and what hasn't at all uh, in my mind. Uh, So I'll go kind of one by one. Uh, The first off is one thing that really stuck out to me is I basically had said that the Red Aja add no value to the world, and I still feel the same way. Um, one of the specific things I said was that they should all basically just be treated as if they're Black Aja, and I only think that more now. <laughs> um, so uh, you had actually related it to a shortcoming of the writing as if it was sort of like written like Slytherin, but I feel like Slytherin was given a lot more depth than, uh, <laughs> than the Red Aja are here. Um, I, I still think the Red Aja, they serve a purpose. The problem is that we're viewing this through a lens where we have Rand, who cannot be gentled, but it makes sense that before this, you would need, I mean, they're supposed to be like the Aes Sedai cops, essentially, and they're kind of failing to do that. Yeah. So it actually touches on another discussion point that you and I had last time, um, where I brought up the point that kind of a lot of the time people do this thing where instead of focusing on... A, an important point that was focused on because in, in aid of a principle becomes the principle. And this is one of those things where the Red Aja, clearly they're supposed to protect against tainted men, which, and we'll get into my, one of my follow-ups will be about the, like, the conversation on how the Sidene's taint affects men. But, like, they've just gotten fixated on that's the point, is we just, you know, neutralize men who channel so, so it's like their point has been neutralizing men rather than defending people from men who have gone bad, right? Uh, and it's a shift, but it's a significant shift that basically makes them useless and a net negative. I've uh, given the current state of things and the fact that hey, there's a war to fight, and that becomes important given some of the revelations at the end of the story. I can't wait uh, till we get to the end and we can debate the Red Aja's future because I really want to discuss that with you. But we, we can't. <laughs> okay. Um, I spent a really long time before we even started talking about any plot points about the, just the general personality problems with with the book and how I decided that I just had to choose to believe that this was intentional um, and just take it. Uh, and this is in terms of like the stubbornness and how everybody, they all, almost every character shares the same stubbornness and just inability to realize that they don't know things and uh, it hasn't changed at all. Um, not... I, I, there's basically one exception for whom it has changed, and that is uh, maybe two exceptions. And But then it just kind of drives home that, yeah, it still bugs me and is going to continue to bug me, and I don't think it's going to stop bugging me the entire series. Um, I also mentioned that I really feel like there's a lot of Dune inspiration in this. And before, I was mentioning specifically how the Aes Sedai and, you know, the kind of being the wise women with powers, obviously related to the Bene, uh, Bene Gesserit, 
And then you spend a lot of time with the Aiel in these two books. And they're basically just the Fremen from Dune. So uh, that's fun. <laughs> so the Dune inspiration continues there. Um, uh, one other thing that I said specifically was that the Aes Sedai don't strike me as wise, only knowledgeable. And that is still true. They, even when they're sitting there making sweeping statements that are clearly supposed to sound wise, that just, no, they're, they're not. Um, they make really bad decisions. and All the time. All the time, do not think things through. Uh, they use their, they basically use their authority as justification for their decisions rather than actual, you know, reason. So, I, and I, I think there's something to be talked about there that there are a handful of Aes Sedai that I can think of names of that be like this person is smart and wise and did something beyond the scope of anything anyone could imagine. But I can't mention that right now uh (laughs) but uh that that is definitely the minority and and i think this is what happens anytime you have an organization that completely isolates themselves from the rest of society oh absolutely like how can moraine actually handle three 18 year old boys when was the last time she was around an 18 year old boy who wasn't like training to be a warder right like right exactly and um, Moraine's and, one of the younger Aes Sedai. Like, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, she's only around Land's age, right? Whereas right. some Aes Sedai are hundreds of years old. And that's actually, so that, that is a point that I have in here that kind of plays into plot points and we'll get into more later. But Moraine is the exception to a lot of my frustrations here because she has changed right. o- over the course of these books. And basically, I mean, she shows humility. She actually like outright says it and it, sh- it throws other people off like crazy when she starts to do it. But humility, to some degree or another, is essential for wisdom, I feel like. And she you know, does that. Moraine earns her place as the only Aes Sedai that he didn't, uh, that Randall Thor trusts. Right, right exactly. Uh, she absolutely earns it. And it is her changing that earns it. Like, she right. didn't deserve it early in the beginning. And, and we'll see that, too, when we talk about her and the, and I always called them the ale, sorry. Uh, yeah, but how, how she approaches the wise women, right? She's, she's. Right seeing that there's a way to learn beyond what the Aes Sedai have taught her. And she imparts that uh, to Egwene, right? Yeah. That there's more than just what the White Tower can teach you. And, uh, you know, Moraine's legacy, uh, which we'll talk about even more, uh, yes. is critical. It is crucial to these books. Like, and so let's not, let's not get too much into that because we'll talk about that when it comes up. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, do you have uh, other thoughts about the first three in your... Yes. Uh, you had asked me about my predictions for Perrin and Matt <laughs> and the last time, and I made a bunch of weird ones. Uh... There's no way you could have predicted. Don't worry. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, for certain. And so one of the things is I was... I kept feeling like Matt had to be linked to the future of Manetherin, uh, and it's ty- and tying kind of Manetherin or that area to, to Rand, where clearly Perrin is the person taking that role right now. Um, right. Whether that's going to continue or not, I have no idea. But uh, so it feels like now that, okay, he's the one who's uniting the lands formerly known as Manetherin, uh, and the wolf power is more of a tool for him to use in order to give him, you know, help him survive and help him, you know, amass that power and those allies and so on, rather than a central part for him bringing nature or some such to right uh, to Rand. So. And, and Perrin and Matt have both kind of realized that they're inextricably tied to Rand, right? Right. Uh, and Perrin, perhaps more thoughtfully, <laughs> right, absolutely realizes, you know, that 
some their actions are going to affect the outcome of this last battle and whether Rand wins or loses. So you're totally right that they're both going to bring distinct things to Rand that without them, Rand would not win. But right. there is literally no way from books one <laughs> through three you could predict where Matt's story arc is going. And, and that's one of my favorite things about Matt. <laughs> The truth is, I still can't. Like, I don't actually have any idea. Clearly, he's going to play a bunch of important roles. Uh, obviously, some of it is this military knowledge that he now has because of his adventure um, into, <laughs> you know, yeah. the the arches and so on. But it's still not clear what exactly his role is is going to be. Like, it could go in a bunch of different directions. So I'm kind of waiting on more for that. Um, the uh, I we also had a discussion on the Aes Sedai not understanding much and taking their knowledge for granted. Uh, and we actually talked about the fact that they use Turangriol to raise accepted to full Aes Sedai, and yet, like, they don't understand how to make Turangriol. So clearly, Aes Sedai existed before, who knew more than any of them know, right? right? Uh, before that was even the process. So it's like they've gotten fixated on the process for how you get raised, uh, and it becomes more glaring towards the end when we find that um, Elaine may have gain some knowledge or believes she's gained some knowledge that none of them have had in this age. And yet they still are like, well, you're just an accepted, yep. you know, uh, it's, it's basically just a lot of the way that this whole process works is nonsensical, um, how, how their organization works. Uh, and it makes me kind of, it's tradition for tradition's sake rather than tradition because it makes any sense and lends itself to your goal. Well, I, um, I, I don't want to say that the Terran Grails don't actually lend to their goals because they do. Uh, you know, when we see Nynaeve go through the accepted Terran Grail, right, she has, she's tested. Uh, right. And that kind of testing, it, it is important. When we see Rand and Moraine and Avienda go through the same process, but with the IL, right, uh, right. There, there's a purpose for that. There is a knowledge that is learned. But they're so bound to their rules, uh, uh, right? Uh, for now, that uh, <laughs> they they can't circumvent them, and they can't imagine circumventing them. And you're gonna see. Well, th- this these books do land the, lay the groundwork for them beginning to break the rules. Like right. I, I'm, right. I am appreciating that. So right. Um, I mean, with the whole uh, white tower. Split. Yes. Uh, yes. Split. <laughs> there is definitely, um, you know, what? Who are you when you're not when you're an Aes Sedai who's not in the White Tower? How do you raise accepted? Right. And, right. Uh, and and I think the split is a good thing because it, again, it draws is like, what is the point of the White Tower? The White Tower. The point of it isn't to be the White Tower, right? right. The point of it is, hey, you're Aes Sedai, you have this power. You're ostensibly trying to serve the world in some way, shape, or form, right? Right. I mean, it's um, like, it's, it's a direct correlation in a lot of ways to the church, right? Which I think we talked exactly. about last time. You know, the, the point of the church is, you know, especially the Catholic church in history before Protestant Reformation, the point of it was not supposed to be to amass power. But right. at some point that, that became part of it. Right. The point of it was to serve people. And then that got a little bit lost, uh, you know, around like a little bit. Yeah. 1300s. <laughs> right. You know, uh, and uh, the White Tower is going through that same kind of uh, <laughs> Protestant Reformation process without the heresy, one might say. Uh, right. I mean, not that Protestants are heretical because we don't believe that. But, y- you know, <laughs> <laughs> from from some perspectives, it is right. Right. <laughs> Uh, uh, yeah, the, the I said I aren't arguing about theology. They're arguing about their future. Yeah. So my final note as follow up of previous discussions is uh, we talked about kind of 
what my gut was on the taint of Sidene and men going mad and so on. Um, and I'm still skeptical of everyone's understanding of it. Uh, so clearly there is a thing, like Rand can feel. Every time he uses Sidene, he can feel the taint and so on. But everybody keeps talking about men going mad, and we've just been told it happens. I haven't seen any evidence of it yet, of people going mad because of their use of the power. Now, well, granted, you also haven't so, seen a lot of men who use right, it. Right. I haven't seen a lot of men using it, but I also haven't heard of people talking about men going mad, like because it sounds like with the way that they use the Red Aja and so on, they're basically, uh, wait, I forget, stilled and gent- gentled as men. Gentled so they're, as men. So they're gentled long before they have the, you know, they get to the point where they can go mad. Right. Is what it seems like. So so it's like the last indication they have of them going mad is basically at the turn of the ages. Um, now, that said, there's also this thing where they have talked about the fact that the men who serve the Dark Lord are protected from the madness. Right. Um, and so when Rand cuts a certain person's bond later on, that he's now exposed to it. So... It drives home, I think I maybe mentioned it before, I, you'd think having just listened to us talk before I remember, if, but I, I was had concurrent thoughts at the same time. But it feels like at some point, whether it's the end of this age or some other age, because it's a wheel that turns, there has to be a restoration of the, of the power to men at some point. And it basically makes me wonder if the Dark Lord isn't actually, like, it makes me wonder about where the nature of him being able to protect men who channel from madness comes from, and therefore there's a possible resolution there, I guess. And that's- well, do you know about the true source? As it not the one source? No, I don't. Or the true um, power? No? Okay. Not, not really. Uh, it, what I do... I okay, cool. So I don't know anything about that, uh, not that I'm aware of. Uh, one thing, though, that that does remind me... Um, I, I meant to put this in follow-up, and I put it in the wrong section of my notes. I really, really realize how many different special abilities are not part of the One Power. Um, so you have, like, Perrin's Wolf stuff, you have uh, uh, Min's Visions, and so on, and you just, like, little things keep cropping up that are just not related to the One Power. So, or at least not related to the Aes Sedai's current understanding of the One Power. So I, I will say, uh, when talking about the wheel turning uh, and how things repeat, that is true. Uh, but we wheel of time theorizers sometimes get ourselves in trouble <laughs> uh-huh. because uh, we are in the wheel of time now. Right. Uh, so the one source doesn't, and I'm not saying what's going to happen. I'm just saying I, I feel people make these sorts of predictions all the time, right? Well, at some point magic has to come back and then magic has to go away. You know, the one source is pure and then the one source gets tainted. Uh, and then should it, will it get cleaned? Uh you know, from your perspective of where you are, or is it just that it all goes away because we don't have magic, you know? Right. Uh, so I, there's a lot of options. I'm not going to say what happens, but I've definitely been in those kinds of theory discussions, uh, even at the end where we get ourselves into trouble because we're like age, uh, we could be age seven or one. We're uncertain. Uh, right. And uh, there's, you know, Rand is in age three. So there's a lot <laughs> yeah. to go cool. on. And again, uh, part of what I'm saying is just that I see a path for resolution doesn't mean that I think that that's an, but it's just, it's like, there's more going on than just it's tainted for good and all men who use the power must go mad, right? Like the fact that the Dark Lord can shield, shield some people there makes me interested in what the mechanic is there, um, whether or not I'm going to find out what that is. So I guess that's all the like initial follow-ups. Okay. 
So, yeah. <laughs> so diving into the books, and we can completely jump around if, you know, a thought leads you to something else. But there's a couple of things that I just wanted to make sure we hit. And first off, is the shadow rising, the beginning of it, the first time uh, we see a bubble of evil? Uh, I believe so. Yes. All right. So bubbles of evil. <laughs> what are your thoughts? Um, I think it's interesting. Uh, it's, it's interesting because you mentioned in the last, you know, in our previous discussion how the... Given, uh, shoot, what's the term for what Perrin, Matt, and uh, Rand all are? Tavarian. Uh, Tavarian. Like, Tavarian is a cool mechanic to allow for the author to basically do whatever he wants in terms of, like, Mary Sue, but, you know, for male characters, right? Like, he can he can do what he wants with them because they are sort of, the pattern is being woven around them to some degree or another, right? And so right. it's making them into who they need to be. And I think the bubbles are a similar useful mechanic in that way. Um and then it's like, okay, well, we kind of just need this bubble, like, we need chaos to be sown by, you know, the dark, by forces of the dark and so on. And it's just a neat way for it to happen. Yeah, so uh, bubbles of evil will be a thing from now on. <laughs> so you can uh, look forward to but, uh, uh, so we start out and we're still in the Stone of Tear and everyone is still together. Um, and uh, ev- everyone is there, right? Yes. Uh, Ran, Matt, Perrin, Egwene, Elaine, Nynaeve, Moraine, everyone's here, and then they're going to split off. But before they split off, uh, one of the uh, our ladies, uh, our wonderful, wonderful ladies of Wheel of Time, uh, Egwene gives Rand to Elaine, which uh, yeah, is, yeah. <laughs> uh, it does touch on we we talked about how ridiculous I found the like multiple women being smitten in. Uh, smitten with Rand, and I met, I mentioned uh, that Egwene. doesn't go away in this book. <laughs> no, no, it doesn't. Egwene, Elaine, and Min, and so now, okay, Egwene's not one of them now. Uh, doesn't really change the situation, and no. there's their handling of it is ridiculous. Yes. <laughs> so, so then they split off, and Rand goes with the ale to, or the Aiel, or however you want to say it, to uh, the waste, and um, he's kind of got to earn his place or prove his place as the dragon reborn because the Aiel have their own prophecies, right? Related to the dragon reborn, but they call him the, uh, the, uh, Kakarin, he who comes with the dawn is what it, right. Uh, and, uh, he, he's know. meant to come and unite them and break them. Right. Right. Uh, and, uh, of course people have mixed feelings about this and they don't know where it's going to go. But they do know that they want Rand to go through the process uh, that their clan chiefs go through, which is kind of an Aes Sedai Terengrail, uh, very similar to the one that we've seen in the White Tower, right? Right. Uh, uh, yeah. Pretty much yeah. exactly the same thing. So. Yeah. Uh, it's in Rudian, their sacred city, uh, and um, which we later learn Aes Sedai have been involved in that uh, because the Isle have a great respect for the Aes Sedai, right? Uh, yeah, they do. They're, they're not one of those peoples who are thinking the Aes Sedai are witches and need to burn them at the stake. Uh, they are happy for, you know, Moraine to come. Because uh, she goes... Yeah, and, and they even allow, despite the fact that she's from Camelin, where they... And they hate the people of Camelin because Kareen. they're tree killers. She's from Kareen. She's from Wait. Elaine's oh, yeah. Sorry, sorry. It's, You're right, yeah. But, uh... They, but yeah, they went to war with them, so... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, it's so, so funny because you're pronouncing things differently than I'm used to hearing it. So it's just like, wait, what did you say? Yes. <laughs> yeah. So uh, however you pronounce it, Kareen and the IL went to war. And it's that war during which Rand was born. Right. And Tam 
acquired rand uh and uh uh Kyrian. i was like i couldn't remember how they pronounce it in the audiobooks Kyrian. so uh, anyways <laughs> so the il have invaded Kyrian because they gave them uh a tree and basically they destroyed it um and it was right. very symbolic um so yes her being Kyrenian is like a thing but she's ice to eye so that outweighs any right uh i also just want to say that i really appreciate the way that basically we learn the Aes Sedai, or excuse me, the Aeel's past through Rand. Yes, um, so I need to talk him going about through this. <laughs> it was a really good way for them to teach us the Aeel's past, because I have a bunch of notes about them and their culture and their attitudes towards this history. All right, let's yes, talk about ahead. the Aeel. Uh, okay. So why don't you tell us about what Rand sees? In- so uh, Rand goes back and he sees, he continues to go back further and further through generations of his blood, seeing memories of generations gone best and basically how the Aiel came to be the Aiel. Right. And this uh, and this definitely cements that Rand is Aiel, right? Oh, like, absolutely. He he now knows a hundred percent. He cannot argue otherwise. He is an Aiel. Yes. Or at least uh, partly. And so we find out that basically the Aiel and the Tinkers were the same people at one point. Uh and they were pledged to the way of the leaf, which is you never hurt anything or anyone in any way. Um you know, and we touched on the Tinkers previously, and they were basically impractical pacifists. Right. Uh, so, in this context, you get them, and then they were given a mission by the Aes Sedai to basically, what is it, take trees and protect them? Is that? Uh, I think it's like trees and seeds, because uh, the, the Tinkers, they grew things. Right, right? exactly. Like that, that they knew the song, because the Tinkers are always looking for this uh, quote-unquote song. But we see in the Age of Legends, the Tinkers actually singing uh, yes. with, with um, oh, I forget what they're called, Loyal's people, uh, and growing. And they, uh, and not just that, but at the time, they called themselves the Aiel, right? Like, the, the name changed, is basically the name moved with uh, which group it assigned, or the thing, but, uh, cause there were the Aiel and there's the other term that they use. There, there was uh, a separate term, um, that I can't remember, uh, Dashain Aiel. Right. Ser- which is the servants of the Aes Sedai. Um, right. That's, that's what they were. Right. That's, that's what they were. And so with time, what happens is essentially a bunch of them are killed at one point. Um, and so someone splinters off and decides, you know what? I'm going to fight. And, uh, you know, leaves the way of the leaf. Um, and in that, essentially breaks away from the mission given by the Aes Sedai. Right. So it's like a failure of their entire people's mission. And then that continues, and then you have a moment where the first thing happens with a, uh, where a similar thing happens with a woman, and that's the beginning of the, uh, you know, the the Maidens of the Spear, and so on. So it basically turns into this deep-rooted, like, only the leaders of of the Aiel know this. And I have an objection here because they they know about their origins. They know about this shame that basically their entire society would have, and they don't tell anybody because you know whatever. They decided that it's part of the rules. You don't tell your the people about what you see when you like about your people's past. So they don't tell anyone that like oh yeah no we were the same as the Tinkers and we're this way because we failed. Um, you know so Rand essentially begins the breaking of the Aiel as people by telling all of them about this because of some conflict we'll talk about coming up. Right. He basically tells them they're a failure as people. Yeah. And it's just, it's funny to me because of the, like, such a, the bad decisions made by the Aiel's leaders up to this point to not tell the people about this whole thing. Because, you know, you think about how, how much they hate the Tinkers, right? 
But of course, their leaders know, okay, we really probably shouldn't hate them the way that we do. Uh, but they won't say anything. And that's really just not good. <laughs> um, so I, I was just uh, an interesting moment. Um, and I, I suppose they, did it be- they wouldn't do it because they didn't want to risk the breaking of their people in this way. Well, and I think the the dislike of the tinkers, the the two to a thon, is partly because they, in a way, have also split off. Um, the only true dedicated were the Jinnae, who are all dead now. There are none left, um, and because they were living in like Rudin and protecting all the things the Aes Sedai gave them to protect, right? right. Whereas the Tuathan kind of lost that too, right, and are wandering. So. I, while the Tuathen are still probably closer, because at least they didn't become a horrible, uh, not horrible. I love the IL. They're not horrible. It, they didn't become a horrifying warrior people in the sense that they can like destroy everyone, right? Like right. their abilities are so horrifying to people who are not part of the IL. Um, but uh, the only true ale were the Jin ale, and then they they died off for whatever reason. We're never we don't really know. Uh, they just and they just ended. Uh, as a brief, funny aside, so what is your read on the, like, physical complexion and makeup and so on of the Aiel? Red hair, uh, white, but tan, because they live in the desert. Okay. Uh, probably all going to die from skin cancer. Yeah, so that that was my, my read, and it's like, th- this background finally made sense to me, because I was like, this doesn't make any sense. You wouldn't have red-haired people living in the desert, like... That's not how this works. Well, I mean, none of the people in the Wheel of Time are where they're supposed to be via evolution. Right, because the world broke. Right. And they got lost. So this was like, how did they get there? And I I appreciated this because, and that was the thing, is like, I knew that it wouldn't be natural for them to be where they are, and therefore I wanted to know, like, why are they there? Right. So I I appreciated this kind of explaining that. Yeah. Uh, And so, yeah, Rand tells this to everyone. And this is the making, the start of the making and the breaking of the IL. It's certainly not the end of it, uh, because the the question of what to do with the IL are going to be a question that remains throughout the books, because they are like Rand's personal army. Mm -hmm. Uh, They he is their leader, Uh, and uh, but uh, if you're envisioning a future of peace, right? After the last battle, where does a people whose only purpose is a warrior race fit into that, right? Right. And and we see the beginnings of that in this is like he's he's busy I mean, the very end of book five. And I'm not going to get to specifics, but he basically sets out, which you can already see, his goal is to unite the world because it needs to right. be united for the last battle. And so, you know, my mind immediately goes to, well, what you need to do is, as the prophecy says, is you know, destroy the Aeel. Like, you make them intermingle with everyone else, and it ends the society. Um, would probably be the best way for that to happen, and, you know, you have this whole battle to, to for that to take place. Which, another aside, it's really hard for me to separate what happens in each book, because unlike Harry Potter, where it's like, oh, year one, year two, yeah, year three. Yeah, no, this is very hard. It's, it's very continual, and I keep forgetting... Uh, you know, the first three books was relatively easy, but now it's like, wait, what happened in these two? That's only going to get worse. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. Um, so while we're out with the ale talking about them, uh, there's a couple, a lot of other, most of the book, I would say, takes place out here with them. Uh, you know, Nynaeve and Elaine have their own kind of story. Perrin has his own kind of story. But, and and Min has a story. But the, the, the true meat of this book is in uh, The Waste, right? Yeah. Because it's, it's Rand. 
And he is in the waste. Well, it's Rand and Matt. We have two of the Taverin in the waste. And that outweighs, you know, it, it's it's not just, it's Rand, Matt, and Egwene. That is three separate storylines throughout all the rest of the series that are still completely combined, you know? Right. Um, so, Avienda. I want to know I, how you feel about her. <laughs> I love Avienda a lot. Um, <laughs> I, am, I have uh, very, very strong positive feelings I mean, obviously, she's just as stubborn as everybody else, um, or more so. The uh, in some cases, it's just like the how clearly obvious it was that she was had feelings for Rand so yeah. early. It's just like hysterical how long it takes for. I mean, it's still not really acknowledged. Like she, uh, like they by the end of book five, the two of them have had sex, and she's still like, nope, nope, you're lanes, you're not. It's like. Yeah. Ugh. <laughs> this is exhausting, <laughs> but uh, but she's really funny as a result. Uh, does some really stupid things like, you know, nearly killing herself, which you know then leads to her having sex with with Rand. But you know, whole lot which of then stuff leads to somebody else trying to kill her. Uh, yes. <laughs> uh, I, so I really like her. I do like the fact that hey, finally there's someone else who's also powerful, who's not just one of the, you know, because now we have essentially three of of our channelers who are like the three most powerful in a while aside from Nynaeve, you know, and it's basically three people who are heavily involved with Rand, obviously. So, um, so you have Elaine, Egwene and, uh, and oh my gosh, who were we just talking about? Avienda. Avienda. Wow. I'm bad with names. You know, and, and this, this is the beauty of the wheel of time in that, you know, in any other book, you'd be like, wow, this is really heavy handed by the author, right? right? Like that all these powerful people end up around Rand. But in the wheel of time, it's like, no, that is the wheel. The wheel yeah, is doing yeah. this as a defense against the dark one. It's bringing all of these powerful people to Rand, binding them to Rand uh, so that in the end, hopefully, if everything works out, they're not fighting against each other. They're fighting unitedly against the last battle. Right, exactly. And so one of the things, and there's kind of twofold, right? There's bringing powerful people to him and making people who would be bound to him powerful, right? right? Um, because you get the impression that, uh, I agree with something you said last time, more and more that you feel like at least one of the the one of the girls should be um, Taviran as well. But since that's not how it's been written, then you could say, okay, maybe Egwene wouldn't have been powerful if not for the fact that she's tied to Rand. You know, uh, and similar for Elaine, like we know that Elaine has in a previous life been tied to Rand. And so maybe she is being given this power so that, you know, she and the world can be tied to him, uh, especially with her, you know, being the person in line for the monarchy and so on and so forth. Um, uh, and then in this case, Avienda as well, um, which I keep wondering if Avienda is the third person that Min is seeing and just doesn't know her, but. Maybe, maybe, maybe not. I can um, neither confirm nor deny. Yeah, uh, I, I don't I, want you to confirm nor deny, so... I, I will say, you know, we cannot forget that Nynaeve is the most powerful of them. Right. Uh, and there is reason for that, and good reason for that, and I cannot talk about it. <laughs> um, which does uh, go back to something I did mention last time around, was the uh, the two uh, Sarangriol, the giant yes. ones that look like people, and Rand now which taps small... come up small in these books, right? Yeah, because he he's he has a Turangrial of the little fat man with a sword that allows him to tap some of the power yes. of the giant Turangrial, and he I think has the female one in his possession or had something. But uh, but again, like you know, we now have, and we'll talk about specifics in this book that Nynaeve is probably the only person in the modern age 
like the only channeler from the modern age who has power anywhere near the order of magnitude as Rand. Yes. Um, and that's probably important to have on his side. <laughs> and despite everything, Rand still trusts Night. Right. Right. She's she's crazy, but he knows her kind of crazy. Right. He knows her. He knows where she comes from. He knows how she thinks. He knows the problems with how she thinks. Like he probably would trust her more than Egwene right now because of his distrust of how Egwene is becoming like half Aes Sedai, half wisdom. Yeah, you know. yeah, that that is one of Rand's, you know, Nynaeve's personality doesn't change, right? Who she is doesn't change. She doesn't let the Aes Sedai change her. She changes right. the Aes Sedai. Egwene's still in that, she's so young, right? She's like 16. And like we talked about last time, right? She's trying to impress all the women around her. And, you know, that's why in these books, you know, she almost becomes like the model wise woman, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, because that that's, that's, she's trying to learn everything she wants what everybody else has, and she's still moldable, whereas Nynaeve's like 27 and is like a crotchety old woman in a 27-year-old's body. Right. Uh, And so part of this is represented in how Egwene, there's a large segment where Egwene is communicating with Nynaeve and Elaine, and so everything they're hearing about Rand comes from Egwene's perspective, which is incorrect. Um, (laughs) Because, like, she keeps calling Rand arrogant. Yep. And therefore, the others think of him as arrogant. Is like Ar- Rand is like the least arrogant person in this. Like he's like he's sitting here. He's like, no, I hate. Perrin I have- is the least arrogant. But- okay, I'm sorry. Well, Perrin's like absent from book five. That's true. So, but true. uh, but I mean, in this situation, right? Like she's viewing all this, and she's like appalled that you know Moraine is being loyal to Rand and all this. It's like, no, no, no. Rand sits here and second guesses himself constantly. And the only reason he objects to other people is because they're not being transparent and he knows they're not being transparent, right? Like he is absolutely making, in these two books, he finally like, I'm over being upset with him about any of the decisions because pretty much every step of the way, even when he's being a little bit rash, he's making the best decision he possibly could given the information he has and given the way people will present the information they're presenting. Because yeah. everyone else is so myopic and only viewing things from their own perspective. And he is actively taking on this role. He's like, I have to save the world. And that means I have to save everybody. And I'm going to try to keep everybody's interests in mind. And no one else is like aware of it. Matt Perrin and Rand are actually, they get called you know, arrogant and stupid a lot. Um, but as as you go forward, I know Matt's still a little close to himself he doesn't have a lot of right uh but they're all going to become like they listen to people and i think people that you know that's the sexism of this land right that like men are always stupid yeah. even when they're not if they're not listening to a woman um but uh while we're on rand uh specifically uh and rand wanting to learn uh what about rand and asmodium so i love the interactions between them um, I really love the way that Asmodian was based, Asmodian, excuse me, was essentially thrust upon Rand. Yeah. Um, not essentially, was thrust upon Rand, but he's like, well, he's here, so let me use him. Um, I like that. Uh, I do like the fact that nobody forgets that Asmodian is Asmodian. Like, he is still who he is. Um, and because there are times where I almost want to trust him. Yeah. But then I was like, well, but he's still who he is, you know? He's still the same person who made his decisions. It's like, you know, he's doing this out of necessity. He is in his position because he would be killed by anybody on the other side at this point. And Rand is the most likely to protect him. And, you know, maybe, you know, maybe he is changeable by the end of things, but maybe not. And there's no reason to assume he is. Um, so uh, I do like how much Rand gets to learn from him. Um, I do appreciate... That Rand kind of keeps a firm hand with him. Uh, and I'm also, I guess, thankful that 
Asmodian is for now shielded. Yeah. Um, Thank you, Lanfear. Yeah. I also <laughs> really enjoy the fact that in that fight, Rand, that's the recognition. So this is the recognition that Rand has that Balzaman wasn't the dark one right. because he's like, Oh, I've seen those black threads before. I know what they are, you know? And so he cuts them and that's like, he separates Asmodian from, you know, from the dark one. Uh, the Dark Lord? I don't remember what he's called. Uh, um, Dark One, Dark Lord, whatever. Just don't call him Voldemort. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's uh, the Great Lord to the to the bad guys and so on. But uh, I, I really, I guess I really enjoy the role he plays. I really enjoy the fact that no one else really knows, but it puts Rand into this corner where he can't tell people that others in the caravan are dark friends. Um, it's really frustrating because there are a couple of people he probably should tell, but they have not align themselves with his interests enough or his they have they haven't given him reason to believe that they will go along with his goals enough for him to really trust them yet um and in the end that hurts a little bit towards the end you know when we get to tail end event events we uh find out that somebody already knew about asmodian and just chose not to say anything um yeah so before we leave the waste we have to talk about matt uh and in this book matt visits two different uh, mythical types people. <laughs> he visits the Alfin and the Eelfin. <laughs> Not at all confusing. Uh, <laughs> and the Alfin he visits first, and he's allowed to ask them for answers. The Eelfin he thinks works the same way and doesn't know that they're different people, uh, and gets a very different. So to be clear, one of them he gets to through the uh, through a gate in tier in tier right, and then the other one he gets to through a gate in the uh, Aiel way. Yeah. Right, because he's basically, uh, in tier, he's trying to figure out if he should follow Rand. And in the Isle Waste, he's kind of bored while Rand is going off on his vision quest and is like, oh, look, another gate. I'll see if I can get more answers. Yeah, and it yeah. turns out it works differently. Yeah. you uh, In this one, it seems like, they never explicitly say it, but it seems like you give them answers and they do it. Or you give them a command and they do what you say, but it's kind of like a monkey's paw sort yeah. of thing where, you know... You really needed to be careful what you told us to do, and you also didn't even know you were telling us to. Yep. So, yeah. So uh, Matt is gifted with a couple of things, right? Uh, his memories get filled. <laughs> he uh, gets a special spear, and he gets a fox head medallion. Uh, right. And these things are like if not that you would, but if you ever Google like Matt Cawthon, which I don't recommend doing because it's full of spoilers. I don't Google anything in the uh, series. <laughs> but the image of Matt Cawthon that most people have is green coat, uh, fox head medallion, uh, a scarf around his neck to hide his scar, uh, and the, the, the spear he's given, as well as a black hat. It's partial, two hats. Uh, and that is Matt for the rest of the books, which is why, you know, when we're talking about the first three books. I'm like, this isn't really Matt. I mean, I know it is, but this is like, this is all set up for Matt's like, th- like, that's like Caterpillar Matt. This is Matt who just like is in the cocoon in this book. Right. Uh, and then in a book in Fires of Heaven is when Matt starts to actually exit. The- right. Uh, uh, and to be clear, you mentioned the scar. The scar is from him being hanged. Uh at the end of the this thing, this contact, because it death doesn't... Death one for Matt. <laughs> yeah. In, death one in this book alone. <laughs> <laughs> oh. um, yeah. Uh, so Matt still bugs me a lot. Um, his personality hasn't really gotten better, but uh, I, I also thought... Uh, I have this written down as... 
book five, instead of being called the hairs, the fires of heaven, could be the one where Matt becomes useful. Um, <laughs> not uh, untrue, but fair. Uh, so he's he's still not really second guessing his own motivations. He's still not introspective in the slightest. Uh, he's still just as kind of selfish and and so on at least in his own head, even if he's being drawn to do more selfless things. So I'm seeing the beginnings of him being turned around, but his character isn't yet. So far, it's like more of his actions that he's, I guess that the, you know, the wheel is forcing onto him are, uh, they're fulfilling what he should be doing. And so people are now interpreting positive motive that doesn't exist yet <laughs> and, I, or that exists in very small amounts. I think that's and both. That we'll hopefully get more noble true and false as you'll go forward that Matt will never think of his actions as noble because he doesn't want to, right? He wants to think of himself as a swashbuckling rogue. Even when he's actually doing something incredibly selfless, he will not attribute virtue to himself uh, because he doesn't want to be virtue. So (laughs) even when he's doing things that he wants to do that are good, uh, Example, not saying this happens. Let's say he saves, I don't know, a dog's life, right? Like, you know, there's a dog in the street and a wagon's about to run over it. And he goes and he grabs that dog and takes it off. He would ascribe that to the most selfish motives he can possibly think of. Oh, I didn't want to have to clean up blood off my coat. That's true. Right? But that's not why he did it. The way Matt thinks of himself and the way he is are actually different. And that starts in this book. Right, and you can see it in The Fires of Heaven. There's the point where he could just, you know, wander away, but no, all these people are going to die, and so, okay, fine, I'll help them, you know, give them the correct direction. And then the next thing he knows, he's directing an entire army, essentially. Right. Um, but that doesn't change the fact that every single time he then goes out later on as a, you know, other people think he's trying to scout ahead, but he's really just trying to go away and just keeps happening to find people. And he's like, ah, oh, fine. <laughs> I guess I have to report this now, you know? Like, uh, so, so he, he's still trying to get away. He's still trying to fight it, even after he's agreed that he probably should stop fighting. I mean, to a certain extent, you know, Matt and Perrin are both trying to fight their future, right? right. Uh, you know, Perrin accepts that his whole purpose is probably going to be to help Rand at the last battle. But he doesn't necessarily accept that the last battle's like tomorrow, right? You know, he's he's got stuff to do in the meantime. And then people, you know, when we talk about Perrin, people keep trying to thrust, you know, a position upon him that he doesn't want. You know, right. but they're both being drawn and pulled into these ways they otherwise wouldn't necessarily want to. Uh, and so to contrast with the two of them, I appreciate Rand because Rand doesn't want his position, but he's like... The fact is, it's mine, and I'm going to do the best I can with it, you know? Uh, and I kind of like his attitude towards it. Rand so. will be the only one of the three who's ever comfortable be calling, being called Lord. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, it's because at a certain point, he's accepted that, like you said, right? Like, yeah. this is who he's supposed to be, and it's who he needs to be for the world to continue. Uh, yeah. Right. Yeah. Rand. Um, uh, so- speaking of Matt, though, because uh, we, we still hadn't really left... Uh, we were still talking about Matt. Right. Uh, so, of course, he is weirded out by the Wisdoms. He's weirded out by, you know, Aes Sedai. He's weirded out by Aiel in general. Um, but that doesn't stop him from getting an Aiel woman who... I That was... 
she was very suspicious from the start, let's say, to me. Uh, it's like, oh, look, this Aiel woman who is a weird interest in Matt and keeps trying to suggest that he has a destiny separate from Rand and pushing him to it. Whereas all the other, uh, you know, maidens are super loyal and protective of Rand. This seems odd. So, not suspicious at all. <laughs> not, in, not even a little. Yeah, no, that, that was a... We'll get to that later, but what happened there was telegraphed. And that's not a negative thing. I mean, it just... I'm not saying Matt should have been suspicious of it because he doesn't necessarily understand all the interworkings of people over here. No, but, and, uh, and Matt, Rand, and Perrin are all still trying to figure out this world they've been put into, right? Yeah. They never really expected to leave the two rivers. And now here they are, ruling, yeah. except not. Uh, so uh, before we, <laughs> we we keep wanting to move on to next books, you know, with these different plot lines we're talking about, but right. uh, Perrin uh, is in this book. he is not in the next book uh there is a book for every one of the male of the males not to be in if that makes sense uh perrin is not in the fires of heaven uh matt is not in path of the dagger and while rand is in um forget which one it is uh one of the later ones he's in it he's not really in it like he has like three chapters as opposed to rand's usual like half of uh right so uh, we do a lot of Perrin in the Shadow Rising, and then he goes away. So Perrin in the Shadow Rising, he goes home. Yes. Uh, and then we get thrust into the never-ending saga of Perrin and the White Queen. I love everything about Perrin in this book. Um, I mean, I that's I am pretty sure Perrin's going to remain my favorite character for the entire series, <laughs> which it's just doesn't. I, I I said it last time, and I'll say it again. It doesn't matter that he's not as exciting as the other ones. I just like the fact that he's a predictable character who does sensible things. Except Mary Fayette. Well, except for, <laughs> you know, nobody's perfect. Uh, uh, that, that relationship makes zero sense at all. Um, but, you know, everything else he does just makes sense, and he takes care of people, and he's kind of thrust into this position and reluctantly does what needs to be done, and just generally doesn't make bad decisions. Um, and I like him for it. So, uh, yeah, like, he, he's very much a, he's getting all this loyalty from people, and he just deserves it, you know? Like, he deserves this loyalty he's getting from all the people around him, the people who, who just kind of bind themselves to him. They're like, hey, Perrin is strong, he's a leader, he's going to, you know, unite us, he's freed us from the White Cloaks being terrible people who really just want to keep us under their thumbs, um... There's this whole plot line of the one, the, the guy who wants revenge against Perrin, who doesn't understand anything. Dane Bornwald, uh, yes. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so I don't, it's funny because as much as I love Perrin, I don't have much to say about it. I'm just really and, happy and whenever he comes That's my problem with Perrin, right? Uh, but that said, there is some important stuff that happens in this book that I need yes. to point out and <laughs> discuss. Uh, Please do. One, he gets married. Yeah. Him and Fael. Never ending. Uh, <laughs> uh, two, uh, tell me what you think about Slayer. Um, Slayer, so I'm trying to remember the details that I know about Slayer. Slayer is, man, it's funny because the book four feels like such a long time ago, uh, even though I'm only one so, book further than that. Lord Luke, Slayer. Right. Killing in the dream. Uh, right. Uh, man, I I guess I don't really trust him at all. Um, As you Yeah. <laughs> Uh, there is the Lord, is Lord Luke the one in the, in the village? Yes. 
okay. So yeah, so we see him and we're like, oh, look, he's the same person because he was hurt at the same time. <laughs> you uh, know, th- other people can't put it together. The reader does. Right, exactly. Um, yeah, I, I, I guess I don't really understand his motives and such. Uh, I just kind of don't want him to be a really terrible thorn in the side. I'm trying to remember, if do I know more specifics? Um, you may not. That's fine. Yeah. Um, let's see. What else happens in the two rivers? Um, have you met Varen Sedai before this? Yeah, Varen was with, um, I think they've all been, ex- she's met all three of the boys now, ah. I think. I think that's right. Yeah, because she was involved when uh, Matt was sick. Um, that's right. With a dagger and so on. So, yes. So they're in the two rivers looking for girls um, to take back to the White Tower. Uh, because Nynaeve and Egwene are from there, so there's no reason to think there wouldn't be other girls with the one power. And they, I think they, they, they do actually find girls, right? They do, yeah. Uh, so, and their plan is to take them back. Uh, but really, the, ultimately what happens to this is that Perrin becomes the Lord of Two Rivers, which has not had a noble over it hundreds <laughs> right. of years. And uh, they put together a banner. Don't they use the banner of, do they use the banner of Manetherin? I think they do, but they also have a wolf's head. Right, they also have a wolf's head. Um, so, yeah, so that becomes a thing. Um, I remember Varen being really intrigued at this because obviously she's a brown and she likes studying things. Everyone's favorite brown Aja, Varen Sadat. <laughs> what about you? Oh, no, she- <laughs> obviously I'm everyone's favorite. Uh, but yes. <laughs> so uh, Varen, uh, so Varen is of course intrigued by just how, you know, Perrin being a Taviran is warping things around him. Um, wow, the specifics of book four are really, like, I, cause I, I, I'm trying to think, there's the annoying village guy who doesn't like Perrin, because Perrin, yeah. (laughs) Well, I mean, it's this whole idea of, like, going home, right? Right. And will the people at home accept the changes that have been made in you? But Perrin is denying any changes have been made in him, right? Yeah. Uh, Uh, And he, he does notice, though, a couple times, though, he notices that, like, hey, what I just said shouldn't have convinced these people, but it did. This must be what it means to be a Tavirin, right? right? Like, there's that thought process is like, oh, you know, this person wouldn't have come around this quickly, even though what I've said made sense. Right. Um, because he rallies a whole bunch of these villages that, you know, they're kind of related. It's like, okay, yes, you're also from this area, but they don't necessarily love you. You know, they don't have any particular affection towards you. And they they rally and they're like, yeah, I guess we will turn against the, you know, the um the children despite the fact that you know without Perrin having said anything they were just frightened to death and right. were not going to. and i mean Perrin even tries to parlay with the children of the light in this right yeah uh, to help us with the trollocs and you know i'll let you take me and we'll just you know we'll deal with it just yeah. leave the two rivers alone but then they don't help and, uh, and so- it very firmly kind of sets in stone that like the children of light of the light have zero moral standing in any way shape or form on anything like there's just there is no moral ground for them to stand on. Um, I, certainly in this light, because of you, you think about the complications. Like they actually have dark friends in their leadership, and you know, and so on. It their their organization has been entirely corrupted, regardless of the passions of pe- individuals in within the children. Um, right, but now, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, you also I, have what's his name, um, uh, Thane, uh, is involved in all this, and we. I, I don't really want to talk about Thane. I don't want- um, we can just say that to reiterate what we said last time, Thane, I just wish he was removed from the books. I, anytime he's present, I just want that part to be over. 
uh, it, it just doesn't feel like he's contributing tension that I appreciate in any way. Um, yeah. So I, w- I will say one more thing about Perrin. Yes. That you are completely correct. The children of light have been corrupted. They were supposed to be like this, like crusaders for God kind of, right? Right. But now like 50% of them are probably dark. Uh, but now they've come in direct contact multiple times with multiple Taverin, right? And right. particularly hung up on this one parent. Uh, and there is no way interacting with Perrin is not going to change their whole organization for the good or the ill. We'll see, <laughs> right? Do they all end up, you know, fighting on the dark one side of the last battle? Do they end up fighting on Rand's side of the last battle? You know, do they just not care and just fight against Perrin? Right? Like, who knows? I mean, I know, but, <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, the thing about coming into contact with a Taverin is in some ways Perrin is to the White Cloaks uh, what Rand is to the Aiel in that whether, not not that he's their leader, but just his presence there changes them. Yes. Yeah. Um, I, I'm, I'm waiting for that because, I mean, you get the fact that there is going to be, there has to be at some point some conflict within the children. Now, what direction that goes, we'll see. I know. But like, <laughs> I, I mean, I but it's got to happen, right? Like, you're, somebody is going to find out that their leader is a dark friend, and something's going to happen as a result. But, um, yeah, that'll be an interesting day when I get to that point. <laughs> no, there's still two other kind of mini plot arcs in this book that aren't really super focused on. But Nynaeve and Elaine do run off and continue their Dark One hunt. Um, right. The interesting things they find in this book, I believe, are, well, a Forsaken. Uh, yes, uh, they get involved. <laughs> this is the beginning of their conflict with Morgadine, right? Right. Uh, yeah. And uh, they find one of the Dark One seals, which, have you seen one of those before this? I can't remember. Yeah, we see one in the very first book. Um, we see one, uh, and it's broken, and that's why they're alarmed, uh, because uh, Moraine explains what it is. Right, and... but this one is not broken, right? Right, this one's intact. Um, so we see them, they're like collecting seals as they come across them. And then they find uh, a male uh, Adam. The, the... Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the thing that can be used to, you know, control a, a person. And the implication is kind of that the Shan Chan might use this on Rand, right? Right. Uh, and that's what the intent was for the Black Aja. Right. That's That's what they were trying to find. Um, they also find, um, I'm trying to think. Uh oh they find b- before this when they're when they start their mission they get the Turangrial um to help them go to dreams. Ah yes the world of dreams. The world of dreams which uh which helps them which is a very important part of both of these two books because right. they spend a lot of time there. That's that's how Elaine and Nynaeve communicate with Egwene who can get their natural. Right. Cuz she is a dream one. Which by the way that's another one of those powers that's not related to channeling. Right. Uh, Cuz Perry can do it too. Yep. Yeah. Which is also important. Um, yes. Uh, and uh, yeah, that's how they stay. Uh, so the other thing that happens in this book is, of course, Aes Sedai politics. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, there is a struggle for the Armorillion seat. Yeah, uh, but it ends very quickly. Um, and uh, I can never think of her name, the name of the Red Aja. Elida. Uh, Elida, yeah. She uh, she becomes the Armorillion seat, but... As a result, the the tower is broken because essentially the Reds and a smattering of a few others remain, but most of the tower leaves. Right, and uh, uh, Suan and, or Swan, yeah, Suan, Leanne are stilled. 
Yes, uh, they are stilled, and everybody else believes they're dead. Right. Uh, but uh, Gawain... Min. Min saves them. Min saves them, but Gawain helps. Right. Uh, but he stays. He's chosen his side in the rebellion, right? And it's right. on the side of the actual tower and not the rebel tower. Um, and then they also pick up Loghain. Right. Um, which is very interesting because, of again, like we're reminded that early on Min's vision of him showed essentially like glory over him of some kind. And that is still there and doesn't change. Right. So at some point, because her visions always come true, she just doesn't know what they mean. He's going to, you know, presumably have some kind of great power that matters. Right. But he's already been gentle. Right. So uh, there, this group, Min, Loghain, uh Swan and Leanne have no, they have no one power. <laughs> right. Um, so uh, it's, and the rebel Aes Sedai have no armor alien. Right. Uh, so, yeah. So uh, they, have- they set out to basically try and find, well, first there's the, the whole thing where uh, they talk about the fact that normally men who are gentled, basically they lose all motivation. They can't do anything. And that's essentially the state that he's in. it. Right. Um, and women who get stilled generally end up the same way. Like, they tend to die soon because they lose the will to live. Um, and But uh, we um, – Swan does say that there is this kind of theory or thought that if you can find sufficient passion for something else, it can keep you alive. Right. Um, it can compensate for the loss of the power. And, and usually women are only stilled accidentally, like they burn themselves out. Right. Uh, or because they've committed some sort of great crime, which in this case – deposed armorillion <laughs> right well in, in this case it is uh you know supporting the 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 dragon basically right right so uh, um we also know that uh, aside from the fact that people just don't like the red aja uh part of the reason that people don't support this is because this was not how this should have gone right. even if this was the crime committed there was supposed to be a trial there was supposed to be a whole bunch of stuff and they didn't go through those processes which means that like to many of the Aes Sedai, it was a coup. Uh, Elida is she is not a legitimate um, Amarlin seat. Right, right. So whether they think what Suan was doing or Swan was for the best, uh, it doesn't matter. Uh, right. Even for many of them who may, if it had come to some kind of vote or trial, may have even supported her being deposed. That this is a different uh, excuse right. me, a different situation. There yeah. was lack of due process. Right. Uh, so yes, um, and I think that's all that happens in this. I forget where the split is. So, yeah. yeah. So in Fires of Heaven, um, Perrin's not in it, as we've already discussed. But the big right. uh that Rand does is he crosses the spine of the world with the ale. Yeah. Which uh is uh <laughs> even worse than a Roman army crossing the Rubicon, I would say, to the people of quote unquote Randland. Uh. <laughs> Uh, the ale are like the most ferocious fighting army there is. And um, it's an invasion. Uh, and the last time they were there, they like destroyed Kareen uh, and only left because like they wanted to leave because they had done what they did, not because yeah. the Kareenians won. Uh, so and a really fun tidbit to that. And I really liked kind of the way that it made this world feel is to the people in this land. They think of that as the Aiel war, right? To the Aiel, they're like, Oh no, we just, needed to we needed to kill the tree killers and that's yeah. it we don't care about the rest like like they don't even think about it as some like significant war or anything like that it's like no we went in did that and then came back like that's that's what we meant to do 
Yeah, um, and, it, and it wasn't even that they had to kill all Karenians. They really had to kill their leader, right? The, who, the king, who is the one who cut down the tree that was like a sacred tree. Right. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, Rand is, is, he is going in full force. Oh, and we didn't talk about um, the Shadow Ale. Right. Uh, we didn't talk about them. Uh, and we didn't talk about the fact that when Rand left uh, Tyr... Did he? Did him throwing uh, throwing the sword in back into the stone? Did that happen in Shadow Rising, or did it happen before? I do not. Re- I do All know right. it's still well, in anyway. Tear. <laughs> yeah, it's still in Tear, and he puts it there as a sign to make sure that Tear remembers that, like, hey, and you're not free of me. Correct and he me if I'm wrong. Uh, you don't know what the sword does. I mean, I know it's a Sarangri all, but you don't know how it works. I, I don't know. I mean, I know that it gives him a whole bunch of power and stuff. That's all I know, really. Okay, okay. Like, just just checking. Uh, okay. Yeah, because basically, <laughs> Rand is still like King of Tear. Right. Uh, <laughs> yes, exactly. So he's basically he's like, I've already, I've already taken Tear. I am Tear's leader. Period. Don't forget it. Uh, he sends like the I think seven or eight of the people from Tear, uh, the people who most plot against him, up to Camelin to kind of get them out of Tear, uh, which is important now that he's coming back, you know? Uh, and then he goes over to the, uh, to the Aiel, and in this time, he's trying to get loyalty of the Aiel to prove it to them, and we have the whole thing with, uh, the Shido, and, uh, they're one leader who is not a real, like, the other chiefs don't respect him. I can't even remember his name. Uh, I, I can't recall his name, but he was a clan chief. Uh, but he wasn't a clan chief. Uh, right? Like, all the others were clan chiefs, and he wasn't, but he kept acting like one, which really irritated the other clan chiefs, because he had not gone through uh, th- through Roydeon the way that they were supposed to. Right. Which meant that, in the end, the reason Rand revealed the truth of the history of the Aiel was because that's what he needed to do to prove that he had actually experienced and properly earned the uh, the two dragons on his wrists right. uh, or on his arms, and therefore was the real uh, Karkarn yeah. versus their versus this other guy from the Shido who was not and didn't know because he's like that's ridiculous the way that instinctively people would, and the other chiefs were like, no, no, that's the truth. He is the right. real Karkarn. You are not. You know. Yeah, uh, and I as we discussed, it breaks the ale. Right, most of them right. are just kind of like we don't know what to do with this, but. We're, but we'll continue to follow. We're, we're loyal to our old system. We're not going to break from that, right? One group mm-hmm. is like, no, we just hate you. Um, and, and that's one, the Shido. Yeah. And then one group uh, just decides that the Ale have failed their purpose. Uh, they cannot stay in their old, like, clannish system, but they are completely 100% loyal to Rand, theoretically. Right. We only see the very, very, very beginning of that in the Fires of Heaven, though. Okay. Like, we see that there are some people with red, like, strips under their clothes, including some, um, what are the temporary slaves called? The the servants? Oh, I forget. Uh, I can't Gaishine? remember. Yeah, the uh, Gaishine is what they, yeah. So, so the, the Gaishine, like, they're not supposed to wear anything that warriors wear. Right. And yet they and warriors are both wearing this thing, which strikes people as odd, but they don't really understand what's going on. Right. And some people are choosing to become Gushane forever in response to um, this knowledge that they were supposed to be peaceful because Gushane right. are not allowed to touch a weapon. Right. So you basically have people who are following their normal clans and septs uh, and allied with Rand. You have the Shido who are following their existing, you know, clan, but not, but opposed to Rand because some of them, many of them, believe that their leader is actually the the Karkarn, not not Rand. Right. Um, because he's deceived them. 
and then you have people, a few people who've splintered, which makes the Shido larger. Like, they do actually mention that there are some defectors from the other clans who are like, no, this guy can't be him. Right, and they this go over wetlander. The... Right. Um, it sounds like that's, it's a small but significant number, but not, you know, it doesn't change the fact that it's still a clan, right? Uh, but it does play into, again, we've crossed back into this world. So part of the reason they're... Rand has to cross the spine as early as he does instead of waiting until he's uh, aligned everyone from Nail is because the Shido go first. And right. he and Rand is like, I can't let them raise the world ahead of us. Right. Right. So. So he's got to stop yeah. them. Yeah. Uh, but it turns out that it's uh, useful. He crossed because we spend most of this book, I feel like, and I, I haven't re- recently read it, so I don't know. But it's all building up to this battle of Camelon. <laughs> Right, it is. Uh, because um, Morgase is under the sway, and Morgase is the queen of, um, uh, uh, what's her country called? Is starts with an A. Uh, I cannot remember. <laughs> she is the queen of Rand's homeland, <laughs> uh, and Elaine's mother, uh, and she is under the sway of a Lord Gabriel. Right. Who may or may not be... Lord who Gabriel. is definitely, uh, he is one of the Forsaken. <laughs> like, we already know that by the end of the third one, that we know right. he's one of the Forsaken. Uh, we don't know which one at the time, but we know he's one. And now I know uh, Flesh was. Um, but uh, it is gonna, Andor, Andor is Andor, the place. Andor, that's right, it's like the easiest one to pronounce. <laughs> Other than I suppose Tear. <laughs> uh, yeah, so so that whole thing, so he comes in, he has to deal with Camelin, um, or protect Camelin, I suppose. Uh we find that the Shido have been just kind of taunting the people of Camelin, um, right? I do not recall. Yeah, so he's been taunting that it's basically been, like, whenever people try to make a rush for Camelin, because everybody else has been running to Camelin, because it's the only place with a wall, essentially. Um, but then and they so, discover, is this the one where the Trollocs come through the ways? Oh, that happened earlier. Um, okay. No, that happened with Perrin. Okay. Yeah, so we can get back to that. That happened in the previous book with Perrin. Um, this one, there aren't any... Uh, Trollocs in this battle. Um, so, yeah, this whole thing happens, and we discover Matt's newfound military abilities, because um, it is a, as they're sitting there, Rand comes up with a clever idea where you can get up on this tower and make some looking glasses and basically, like, scout without having to send scouts. You can just look at the terrain and map it out. So they do. And uh, at one point, Matt kind of loosens himself. He's looking at the map, and uh, Lan asks him, what he thinks. And Matt essentially describes the entire battle plan that the, like all of the clan chiefs together take days to develop. And he does it in the space of a couple of minutes, you know? Uh, and then he, and he sits there and he picks apart here, are the ways that this could, could go wrong. Here are the, th- the reasons why you would do X and Y and Z. Here's how this could change. And uh, so clearly they all like lands. Here's all of that. Rand gets the last bit of it. And they realize something's going on. We don't know what, but we need to, you know, be aware that Matt has this knowledge. Um, right. Matt tries to run away <laughs> okay. uh, again, and it's a good thing he did, because as such, he finds out that there are some Shido in an area where they weren't expected. And uh, so uh, there were going to be a bunch of people from Camelin and Tyr, because these are the forces being led by some of the leaders from Tyr that Rand had set, sent away, uh, mixed with some of the people from Camelin, and they... Would have all just gotten slaughtered if not for Matt. Uh, and by the end of this battle, huge chunk of the forces are just incredibly loyal to Matt forever, <laughs> mm-hmm. or at least they say. Um, yeah, so that's an interesting kind of interesting thing. 
the rest of the battle kind of goes. They win. They they route well, things. Uh, something very important happens. Uh, Matt, Asmodian, and Vinda all actually die. No, that's a later part. Oh, is that a later part? Yeah. Ah, uh, we'll get to okay. that in a second. <laughs> You'll remember it as soon as I mention it. But uh, <laughs> in this battle, um, you have Avienda, Egwene, and Rand, because they can all use their power against men. They do. And so they're all on the tower just using their power like crazy and, you know, striking lightning. Rand is destroying entire mountaintops um, and so on to kind of channel the movement of the Shido and so on. Nearly passes out. And this is the first time where his memories of Luz Theron really start to creep in. Um, uh, and so he has to fight it off. And he's really, like, disoriented because he has pushed himself to exhaustion to the point where he's actually passed himself out and gets chewed out by... Pretty much everyone who can channel in the environment, like, do you realize you could have just killed yourself and therefore all of our chances in the last battle for good, you know? Um, so that whole thing happens. Uh, the battle eventually settles down. He's surprised that the battle's over. Um, he's told that the battle is over and that uh, and um, it turns out we don't actually see it happen. We just see the memory of it. But Matt is the one who kills the that the leader of the Shida. Um he kind of finds him in battle and and kills him. He uh, and somebody else decided to cut his head off and put it on a pike. So all the Shido have been captured or killed at this point. Um, and that's the end of that battle. <laughs> uh, so, but Rand, of course, is like he's sitting here and he sits on the throne. But he's like, "This is not my throne. I'm not going to take it." And no, you people, I sent up from Tyr, you're not getting it either. You're going to go the back Lane's to Tyr's throne. <laughs> no, no, wrong one. Because this is this oh, is Camelin versus Andor. Or this is, this is Karin? Are you Karian? Yeah, you're right. You're right. Sorry, yeah. sorry. Yeah, okay. I'm sorry. So, so this is That's this is up right. there. This Rand. is where ty- you know. So Rand takes it, but he's like, you know, there will be someone else who should be here. I don't know who. Um, but in this time though, this is when he gets the news that uh, I can't remember if this is when he gets the news, but he got the news at some point that uh, Morgaze has been killed, which she hasn't, but they don't know this, right? Um, right. And uh, so because Morgaze has escaped, um, but Gabriel has taken over. All of uh, taking taking control of Andor, and uh, oh no, see that's the whole thing because Andor is uh, a- Andor border is like Korean, yeah, and so uh, he finds out that they're encroaching and that doesn't make any sense. Then they find out that you know Morghese has been killed and that's why the forces are being sent in. Uh, it's because it's not her calling the shots. Uh, but when he finds out, he gets super super angry. He's like, "Well, this is a problem I'm going to solve." Um, and I'm going to take a force with me, uh, through, through a portal or yeah, he's basically going to make a portal or transport everybody. And, uh, so he does, and he takes a whole bunch of people, as many as he can take. And turns out that it's, oh shoot, we're skipping a part. We're skipping the part with, uh, Moraine and, uh, Lanfear. Yeah. Yeah, that happens. (laughs) Um, so Moraine, when she saw the future through her second time going through an archway, knows the future and knows when she the best future involves her dying um because it makes sure that Rand does the right thing essentially and so she before they get ready to leave to go avenge uh to kill uh Ravine yes right yeah before Rand goes to kill Ravine and take a bunch of people with him he uh she's like okay but first i have to show you this thing and she knows what's coming uh, and, uh, they go down and they are attacked by Lanfear, who finds out that Rand has touched another woman. <gasps> uh, she's she very actually, territorial. she is, she actually literally peels a guy's skin off of his body, um, 
And that, this is just the guy who told her, you know, that this was a thing. Uh, and, uh, and then fights them. And Rand regains some of his powers. He actually manages to essentially defeat and shield Lanfear from the power, but doesn't have it in him to kill her because she's a woman. And as such, Moraine dies because uh, yep. Moraine has to step in and fight and kind of stops thing, uh, things in the meantime. They go and she throws herself and Lanfear through the archway again. And then the archway is destroyed, which ostensibly means they're dead. But it could like the way I read it is like, oh, this is a lot like Sirius Black in book five, Harry Potter. I, I think it's a lot more nebulous than that because we know the Terran Grill actually leads to a place. That's true. Uh, but that said, there are, yeah. <laughs> Anyways, uh, yeah. <laughs> as, as far as we're concerned, and as far as the characters know, they're both dead. Um, both Moraine and Lanfear, which Moraine is great, and I like her a lot, but, you know, if you're gonna give you, take yourself out and take one of the Forsaken with you, probably a worthy sacrifice. Um, because Lanfear is way stronger. And has way too much power over Right, exactly. So her being out of the picture is nice. Uh, and this is when... They finally go, because Rand is just, like, pissed beyond all belief, and is like, I'm going to take my forces now, we're going to do this thing, and he takes hundreds in, and lands in a booby trap. And that's when a bunch of people, a uh, bunch of, like, there are dark friends and dark fiends, whatever you call the the things, they're all waiting for. Uh, and there's a bunch of explosions, and, yeah, a bunch of, pretty much, like, lots and lots of people die, including Matt, Avienda, and, um, what's uh. his name? Asmodian. Uh and so then this Rand gets even more pissed and just Matt's does a straight second death. <laughs> yes. Uh and so Rand gets super super pissed and takes a portal directly to Ravine and starts attacking him. Um and this is similarly so I guess we we've been skipping cuz like before we talk about what happens there we need to talk about Nynaeve's plotline, right? Which we can. Uh Yes. Final Do you want to Why don't you tell us? Uh, okay, so you read this book more recently. I did, I did. It's just, it's all jumbled together. But, uh, so Nynaeve has this whole thing where, uh, she had met and defeated Morgadine, one of the Forsaken, when they found the Black Aja, uh, essentially. Like, they, so she fights her to a standstill, slight victory, almost completely, like, almost succeeds in stilling Morgadine, but doesn't quite do it. And it seems like a partial stilling heals, um, like doesn't right. doesn't really hold after the moment. So so she's like just had a little bit more of the thread to cut to cut Morgadine off completely from the source, but fails to, and therefore they uh, she still has her powers. Uh, then later on, so there's a there's been this whole thing where Nynaeve and Elaine have been approached by Brigitta, a legendary warrior of you know from this who has been brought back many, many, many times. Uh, and they, they meet her in Telenrio. Tel, in, <laughs> in the world of dreams, yes. Where she knows who she is, and she's an amazing archer, and helps them, which breaks all kinds of precepts that we don't understand why they exist. But, uh, but they're there, and she is saying, like, you can't tell other people that I'm here because there are these precepts and rules that I'm already breaking by presenting myself to you, but I must fight the Forsaken. And, um, so there's this relationship that happens between them, their allies, Nynaeve is, uh, gets Brigitte to help them track Morgadine, and then it turns out that Morgadine has been tracking them this whole time. Uh, and finally this comes to a head where they fight in Talayan Riyad, and Nynaeve loses really badly and becomes almost debilitatingly scared. Uh, um, 
so there's this whole whole thing where uh man i'm trying to think in this process brigitta we think dies for a second but then it turns out that she's been moved into the real world without being reborn um complicates a whole bunch of things (laughs) um but uh brigitta is strong and awesome and wonderful uh and she's the best She's the best, and she takes no nonsense from Nynaeve and just basically emotionally slaps Nynaeve around because she's like, you can't be like this. Like, this is not okay. So all this leads up to the point where at some point, Nynaeve and Morganine get into, uh, there's another tool that they're fine. So Nynaeve and Elaine can both be in the World of Dreams at the same time. They finally find the blue Aja and all the other... You mean black... Th- no, the blue Aja. The oh. like they find all the all the women who have left the tower. Um, that's that's right. an important part because they and and as such they get exposed to Swan and uh, and everybody else and they re meet Min and they're treated really poorly by the because they've been acting as if they've been you know full sisters this whole time, um, which Swan realizes and the others don't, and so Swan kind of blackmails Nynaeve into. You know, she's like, I will tell them that you've been doing this if you don't, uh, if you don't do what I say. Um, in this process, though, uh, Suan, wanting to be able to have some power of some kind, tells Nynaeve, Nynaeve that she needs to show her how to navigate the world of dreams. And even though Nynaeve really isn't in a position to be teaching these kinds of things, regardless of how she thinks about her skills, uh, she takes them that uh, on that position and they go around uh, and she's kind of. Almost at this point, like, she and Suwan have a fight, and sh- and Nynaeve realizes that Morgadine is there. Uh, so Nynaeve pushes Morgadine, or, or excuse me, like, kicks Suwan out of the of the whole thing. But in this process, Suwan is the one who had the Turangrial that sends you fully into the World of Dreams, like, right. with your full presence and full power. And Nynaeve is actually much, much weaker, um, because she has this other tool that sends you, like, halfway there. Right, but you're not uh, really supposed to go bodily into the stage. Right. Well, but but so the the Turangrial sends you about the same way that a native walker can. Ah. Right? Like, because it, it sounds like a Morganine, who is there because she just has control over her dreams, is in there with her full power, with the, like, with her full, full ability to channel. Um, So they're not bodily there, but they're there with their full power, I guess is the way that it And I, from what I understand, the they can actually channel more strongly in the world of dreams um, than they can in the real world. I think. Uh, uh, yes and no. But I mean, in the world of dreams, you're limited by what you can imagine. Uh, right. Which, well, sort of. So they, they, uh, this will come up in part of the fight when I get to describing it. But but in this, Morgadine is like basically controls, takes control of Brigitta because um, she's good at the power uh, at the understanding the dreams and stuff. And Nynaeve grovels up to Morgadine and uses the little power that she has to use some of the insight that Elaine provided when dissecting some of these Turangrials and makes one of the items that you can use to control other women. And she makes it correctly and controls Morgadine and therefore has the use of her power. Uh, and it's in this moment that she realizes... I'm trying to remember why she ended up going to to uh the castle and uh and ended up there during the fight like i can't remember if she was aware of the fight or not but anyways i have written here as a note Nynaeve is an idiot for thinking she still had use for morgadine um and should probably just have killed her now it, <laughs> it works out but she really should have just killed her yes like that was the correct thing to do um anyways so she takes her while she has her under control 
and goes to the castle of and uh, at Andor. Um, I can't remember why she did that. Did Mogadine tell her uh, Raven was there, and that's oh, that's right. Yes, she did tell her that that's that's why she's there, and so she goes to see if she can find anything useful, even though she can't affect the world around them. And then they, uh, oh, 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 no. Morganine tells her that a trap has been laid for Rand, such that Rand will fight Ravine in the castle. Like, will fight her there. And that's why Nynaeve is like, well, then I have to go, even if I can't affect the real world. So they're there, just kind of observing. And this takes us back to the fight that Rand and... uh, and Ravine are having, where Rand is winning handily because he has a Turangrial in his pocket <laughs> and are like, you know, touching him and Ravine doesn't. Uh, and it sounds like this is a thing anyways. Like Rand would win just in terms of who he has been historically, like he is superior to, to Ravine. Yeah. So um, not all the Forsaken, but to Ravine. Right. Um, and so this whole thing, so they're fighting and Ravine actually makes a portal into the world of dreams where they bodily go in. And that's what's different here is they they physically transport their bodies into the world of dreams. And Rand has no idea what the rules are here. Right. And uh, so he actually starts to lose. And that's when uh, Nynaeve steps in using Morganine's power to attack uh, Ravine just enough. And, and Morganine is like scared beyond fear, right? Like she is, she's like, we are going to die. They are, a, more powerful than us to begin with, and B, they are physically here, which means they're even more powerful right. than than we are, uh, because there's, like their whole body is not just their mind. And Ravine and, won't spare another Forsaken. Like, the Forsaken don't no. work like Yeah, they're not loyal to each other. Yeah. They don't actually care about each other. Um, their only bond is the fact that they are loyal to the Dark Lord. Um, and uh, so, yeah, so Morganine attacks just enough to free Randops from some captured, like something that he was in because of the power of dreams rather than the, the one power. And Rand then destroys Ravine with Balefire. Um, and, uh, which is a really useful tool, a useful mechanic. Again, we'll, we keep talking about mechanics that are useful in terms of storytelling. It's a really useful one. Um, but a dangerous one, right? A dangerous like, one as well. Yes. Because Balefire erases him from the pattern and the stronger the Balefire, the further back it erases. Right. Uh, and Rand is stupid power. Uh, he couldn't. And he's using very powerful blasts because that's what he has to use against Ravine. Right. Uh, granted, he couldn't erase Ravine's, like, to birth from it. I can't right. even imagine what that would affect. Uh, but it does bring back everyone Ravine killed in this battle. Right. Uh, exactly. Um, and in the flip side, though, or so in this moment, because Rand doesn't, he wants to make sure that Ravine is dead. So he goes and he talks to Nynaeve and he's like, did you see him? And Nynaeve did see him die. Um, but, uh, one of the things that's significant too is Rand had previously used Balefire and when he used Balefire against some Dark Hounds, are they called Dark Hounds? Yes. I think they're called Dark Hounds. Uh, and he remembered noting that, but like little moats were floating in the air of their former existence and he didn't see anything from Ravine. And I guess the impression that we're supposed to get, because Nynaeve actually saw him get hit. The impression is that it's just, it was so powerful that, that that's what it did. Like it, it, it was just such a powerful blast that it affected things differently. Uh, regardless of whether that's true or not, that's the impression that you're sort of led to here. Because finally, when he goes back, he sees the people who were dead. To, and not everybody was, but the people close to him were spared. Right. Like, they were brought back. And so they don't understand his reactions. And Rand actually wonders, is like, did... Um, I, I keep forgetting his name, the the teacher that he has now. Uh, Asmodian. 
Asmodian. I can never remember Asmodian's name. Uh, He's like, he's like, you know, Asmodian doesn't have any memory of it, but is he piecing it together based on my reactions and what happened? Because he can see the holes from the Balefire, right? right. Um, so all that to be said, uh, Gabriel slash, uh, I've been saying his name, Ravine is gone. Uh, but Rand refuses to be king of Andor because the throne belongs to Elaine in his mind belongs to Elaine. And Morgase is not there. Right. Uh, uh, yeah, Morgaze is gone because she had to run. Right. Um, be- so uh, this is important because uh, people are confused as to if Morgaze is dead and right. Um, and I, I presume that'll come in, but uh, Rand at least his head's in the right place, and he actually says in the uh, so there's a person from somewhere else, one of the other border places. Uh, who comes to Rand at the very, very end. And this is really significant because it kind of sets the tone for where the, I guess, where the next book's going to go. But, you know, he's trying to kind of feel Rand out and see where he stands. Uh, And he's like, so are you the king of Andor? And Rand angrily responds like, no, Andor has always had queens and it will have a queen again. Uh, You know, Morghese is dead. And he explains, you know, Gabriel, like, I killed uh, Ravine, but not before he could kill uh, Morghese. But Elaine is the daughter heir, and she still lives. And right. this will be her throne. Um, he says, in the meantime... And then, so then the guy the guy who's here... What is the name of this other kingdom that I can't think of? Uh, that this guy is a representative of. But he essentially says, like, so is your goal as the dragon to conquer, you know, all the land? And he's like, no. My goal, like, I am the dragon, which means I must lead the, you know, the fight. We must be united in the fight against the, whatever the name of the fight is. I keep forgetting, but they all. Um, So far, the places I've only conquered is because they would not ally themselves. Right. But alliances are totally fine with me, and I would much prefer them. I do not want to conquer anyone, but I will do it if I must. Uh, And uh, so the guy goes, well, I cannot make the decision for her. But I can almost assure you that I will send I will send a messenger back, and I can almost assure that my queen, or whatever her name is, she will align herself with the dragon for this, you know, end battle. Tarman uh, Gaiden. Tarman Gaiden. There you go. And in the uh, but then so one of my favorite things about this final bit is uh, Rand had not told this bit to anybody, but the guy asked him is like the reason I'm here is to kill this false prophet who the or not false prophet false uh, false dragon who is a man who can channel who the white tower has let Rome three Rome free. And, uh, and Rand is like, I cannot let you do that because he is mine because I am a man who can channel and we are going to need all the help we can get. So I'm going to allow, I'm going to make an announcement that any man who can channel can come to me for guidance and training in order to help with the final battle, because they will not have time to go mad before then. And we need, and yeah. And that's the thing where Rand specifically says, in his head, I did not want to reveal this part of my plan yet, but I suppose I have to. So, so I really like that um, a lot. Um, one of the other things that this made me think of is Nynaeve keeps focusing on the fact that anything should be healable except death. Anything should be healable except death. Uh, and she insists that she wants to study to be able to fix, uh, um, what's it called? Uh, stilling. Still it, yeah, stilling and therefore presumably gentling and i'm not i'm not saying she would but i can imagine that uh a possibility one of many that could lead to min's visions coming true would be uh naive figuring out how to do that and restoring um what's his name's 
the guy who has been with uh, Sawan Logan. Um, Logan potentially he's storing his power. Maybe not, but I'm saying like I can see that being possible if it turns out that Nynaeve can restore people's connections to the power. Anyways, so there you go. That's those are thoughts. Plotline. <sighs> Man, it's yeah. tiring. A lot happened. A lot happened. Uh, the Fires of Heaven is is a, one of the more exciting books. Uh, I think. Uh, though it is a lot of Rand. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, we see uh, Elaine be pretty awesome, right? Um, because she bonds Brigitta to her as a warder, because when Brigitta is brought to the real world, she is basically dying. Right. And healing isn't working. So this is the first female warder. Yeah. That they know um, of. That they know of. Brigitta actually says that she has a memory of stories of a female warder. Right. Uh, uh, so it's happened before, but just not in a really, really long time um, that they're aware of. Uh, and they can't tell anybody because you're not allowed to bond a warder if you are a, uh, uh, if you're not an, if you're not a knight full, I said I. Right. So, uh, yes. Um, I guess the big thing, uh, I mentioned before the impressions of the madness and right. how it works. And like the only thing even remotely resembling the madness from the men who can channel that we've seen is Rand fighting off his memories of Luz Theron. But that's pretty much the same as what's happening with Matt and his memories flooding in. The difference is, and maybe, no, maybe I can't say anything. (laughs) So, Uh, Luce Theron's personality seems to be injecting himself on Rand, not just memories. That's what I was going to say. Luce Theron is... is, He's a different person, and his consciousness seems present. Yes. Yeah. Whereas the consciousness of those generals do not overtake Matt's person. Right. He just Um, has access to their memories and knowledge as it suits him. Right. Uh, But at the same time... It feels to me like, okay, the whole thing with Luz Theron's consciousness fighting Rand's doesn't really necessarily feel like it's related to the power so much as related to you're the dragon reborn and this is a big deal and this stuff's important. But, I mean, and also, you know, I can think about in the real world a lot of times where things we would have as people associated as psychological problems, like really, or madness before, is like, no, no, this is just a thing people need to think through. Like, think about the way that people talk about transgender people now, right? Right. Um, like, that was discussed in a very different way, uh, uh, say, 50 years ago. I um, I do think there's a difference here. There. Uh... No, I, I know that. I'm not saying it's the same thing. I'm just saying, like, you can describe something as madness, but at the same time, like, is it really madness if it's too actual consciousnesses that are like look he really did live this previous life and he like it is you madness know, when that other conscious drives you insane maybe so but that would be a madness caused by the split personality rather than this itself being madness right so uh, i can't say anything <laughs> <laughs> uh because the loose theron uh is not not going away Imagine that <laughs> this, this this thread that has barely started not going away. Uh, so, uh, but um, I uh, Nynaeve hasn't looked into Rand's mind yet, has she? No, because she's not she, there. She's not physically. She's yeah, she's not physically there. This was their first contact in a while, and she was scared by the hardness in his face. But that's about it. Yeah. So I yeah I I have no comment other than I look forward to seeing how your interpret uh. It gets more nuanced <laughs> yeah. as uh, we progress. It's also super interesting the way that previous lives, consciousnesses are present in some people and others. Like, clearly the Forsaken, presumably they would have all been reborn this cycle if they had died last time. Right. Um, but 
since they didn't die, they're present with their memories of the previous cycle, and they're like, what does he remember of the last time? And nothing, because he's a different person. Uh, uh, you haven't met Aaron Gar, have you? That doesn't sound familiar. Okay. Okay. So. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, I was a little surprised with the fact that, so, so going, you know, Perrin has been fighting his wolf visions uh, in book four. Uh, he keeps fighting it and then using it when it's useful and so on. And uh, part of it is he did see a person go crazy and just become a wolf. Right. Uh, in everything except for physical form. So I understand his fear. But there's a big part of this, like being afraid of the power that you have and making sure it doesn't consume you uh, is a really big part of this whole story for men and women. So I I like that. Uh, I am, I guess... Not surprised, because I started saying I was surprised by it, but I'm frustrated with how little the three boys talk to each other about their experiences, because they're basically the same. Um, like, you know, if Matt would just talk to Rand about these memories from the past, they'd have a lot to connect over and talk and hash out and maybe help each other with, but he won't. Or if Rand and Perrin talked about their fear of going insane. Yeah, yeah, that would be, there. there's that too. Um, and letting the power consume them. It's like, oh, come on, guys. Like, your buddies, talk, talk. Um, but that's a common enough problem yeah. with teenage boys. So. Well, communication is one of the overall themes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, communication, everyone in this should be better at it. Um, uh, which reminds me, so I mentioned it before. We talked about how the Aes Sedai not being wise, but being knowledgeable, and how Moraine was kind of bucking that trend. And while she was in the Aiel Waste, and she kind of started to learn from the wisdoms and so on, she actually swore loyalty to Rand. Uh, and I really, really enjoyed the dynamic of how that changed. Not because she's subservient to Rand, but because it's finally her putting the goals of, hey, we need to win this, fi- this fight, and we're on the same side. Like, realizing that's what matters, not me getting my way. Right. You know? And uh, and that Rand doesn't need to be controlled, right? Uh, Sue Ann and Maureen's whole plan was that the Dragon Reborn would need to be, quote-unquote, guided uh right. and uh but they are not the wheel of time the wheel of time will guide Rand to where he yeah uh which reminds me an- to another thought about again going to Aes Sedai in general not actually being wise uh they say over and over and over again like you cannot fight the pattern the pattern you know like the the wheel weaves as the wheel wills and all all this whole like thing and they just they go get so frustrated with people trying to force their way through the pattern and that's all they're doing the whole time like, it's like, guys, look in the mirror. They're Come good. on. <laughs> They're probably the largest hypocrites in this entire series are the Aes Sedai. Well, the they tower. think they like, understand the pattern. They think that they're doing what's right for the pattern. But, I mean, look at Aleda. Yeah. He thinks that she's doing everything she's doing because she had a vision that the Queen of Andor or the Throne of Andor would be critical in the last battle. But she's also actively working against Rand. So... Yeah. Yeah. To what is Again, and it goes back to something I said in the first one, which you kind of, you said that it was a good read, which is, these people do not understand the world they're in, and they think they do. And that, and their understandings, like, you know, I'm just kind of waiting for their understandings to fall apart and for them all to realize, oh, we're kind of idiots. But, um... Don't Whether they realize breath. that or not. No, I'm not going to hold my breath. Like, I don't trust them to have the self-awareness to do it. But a handful of the characters will hopefully be like, oh, we've been wrong about this. Okay. Um, and, and just to discover all the ways in which their knowledge is no more reliable than my lack of. Because it's just not. Um, and it works against them. So, 
Uh, yeah, I'm enjoying that thread. Uh, I, I've kind of gotten over the fact that the characters mostly annoy me. <laughs> because that, again, I, I mentioned before, it makes sense in context of this is the world that they've been in and they're all, they've all been led to believe in destiny and so on and so forth. So they all have really weird attitudes towards it that contradict what acting rational, like that lead to them not acting reasonable. I buy it. So yeah, I'm looking forward to whatever's next. Do you have any things that you want to say about this? Cause the last bit has been me talking. <laughs> no, I mean, uh, a lot of the fires of heaven is um, set up. There's some really important things that happen in here that I cannot highlight without uh, spoiling. <laughs> um, other than uh, I really like Birgit, um, which is how I pronounce her name. Uh, and this is the beginning of us being able to hang out with her all the time. Uh, she also has one of my favorite bromances with another character that I cannot talk about. Good. That is funny. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, but is her romances or bromances? Bromance. Okay, cool. Birgit has sure. the best bromances. Uh, that's cool. Because she doesn't have romances. She's waiting for her honey to be reborn. Or Well, that's why I, I was afraid that you had like told me that he was going to be reborn. No. And, no, no. So that, that was the... I mean, <laughs> friendship, bromances. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I really love Avienda, so it's exciting that she's like a real character now. Um, yeah. And uh, the whole, uh, you know... I said I civil war. It's not going anywhere. <laughs> so, uh, it, it, I mean, it's going to be around for a while. Is what oh, I that's mean. what you meant by the civil war. Okay. Yeah. Got you. You were uh, asking me earlier if I'm in the civil war, and I, I didn't click that you meant the I said I. The so. I said I civil war. Uh, they don't call it that. Uh, right. Because, well, they're not, they're not split. What? <laughs> they're also not Marvel fans, so. Um, <laughs> uh, and uh, you will get Perrin back in the next book. <laughs> Yay! So I, I know you will appreciate that. Um, and, um, uh, you know, I guess the, the things I would highlight as someone who has read these books as things I think that are important that aren't necessarily spoilers, I will just list some events, are, of course, Moraine and Lanfear's death, which we talked about. Uh, that is uh, super important. <laughs> yes. Uh, the uh, Rand's kind of indiscriminate start of using Balefire uh, realizing how powerful it is because we've already been warned that Balefire is bad, um, yeah. that there is a price to be paid. Uh, so uh, uh, him Balefiring Raven, uh, bringing Matt, Asmodian, and Avinda back from the dead, uh, that's uh, that's a big no-no in Aes Sedai circles, and it's a no-no for a reason. Um, and then, uh, every- it's also a no-no that he wouldn't undo even if he could because look who's alive. Right. Right. I mean, he, he kind of needs Matt. So, you know, uh, and his girlfriend and, uh, the guy, how to use his power. Yeah. Uh, but, um, and then of course everything with the IL, cause the IL are going to be with us, you know, with all of these characters, right? Perrin has his own little, you know, ale friends. Uh, and Ran is there, he, he is their Messiah. Um, and unlike the people of Ran, the Ayale do not fear the Kakarin on the same level, you know. Uh, right. They know he'll change them. They know he'll break them, and they're seeing that already. Uh, but it's a much less fear than, let's say, the people of Andor have regarding the dragon. Um, so it's nice for him to have some people who are loyal to him, uh, but he's already lost some people who are loyal. So, uh, yeah, in the next books, things uh, people are going to spin off into some separate storylines. Uh because uh, our tavern do not hang out together forever. <laughs> uh, one other small thing that just occurred to me that I'm n- I never mentioned 
um, when Elaine bonds Brigitta, we also know that Elaine intends to bond Rand. Yes. Which which means she's basically, she's decided, well, I guess I have to be, in a, be a green Aja now. Because like, I have I ha- two. Because you know, <laughs> I'm going to have two. And it's just, you know, interesting to think about that, like, you know, because Min, of course, uh, has given Elaine some insight. And is like, you know, I don't know that Rand is in love with you the way you are with him, but I know he's bonded to you in some way. Like, and so that's a... Uh, fits with Elaine's vision. Now, whether they are understanding this correctly or not is a whole other thing, but but that's her goal. Um, and she's insistent on having it. And it could be interesting to have the Queen of Andor and the dragon leading together with the dragon as the Queen's warder, although maybe they could do some other thing that is like a more equal thing rather than one being subservient to the other the way that it currently is. I don't know. We'll see. Well, ask yourself this. You think Burgett's subservient to anyone? <laughs> Uh, I mean, I do think that the, the bond makes it so that Elaine can make Brigitte do things that she couldn't otherwise, right? Like, I mean, you think about the the power that Moraine had over Lan. Ah, but Lan, you know, does his own thing too, so. It's true. I'm not saying she has no independence or not even a lot of independence, but, you know. But you also, there's the, like, having to keep you close and all that most of the time. We'll see. We'll see. I don't, I mean, honestly, I haven't seen that many warders, so, like, it's not like I really have a solid understanding of that relationship. That's true. And let's not forget, now that Moraine is dead, what does that mean for yes. Lan? Well, Lan is on his way to the the green that he has to go to for right. now. Who has been... But, but I, I mean, I already told you before, like, it just seems super apparent that he's going to end up being naive with naive sooner or later, like, once she can. Um, but, you know, things have to happen first. Many things. Uh, and, and, Lan, and, and Lan keeps going, like, he told uh, this stupid thing. He, he tells Rand, like, tell Nynaeve that I found someone else and something else and therefore can't love her or something. And then Rand goes, and that's, like, one of the two things that Rand says to Nynaeve is, tell Elaine this. Lan was right. I can't, you know, I can't love another thing. Oh, by the way, Lan wanted me to tell you the same thing. And it's just like, this is stupid. Yep. Don't be boys. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but they are. Yeah. So, uh, that's these two books, uh, unless you have other thoughts, but we're getting close to two hours. Probably wrap it up. Yeah, I think uh, that's about it, yeah. So, the next books, uh, there's really only, it has to be three. You have to go Lord of Create, Chaos, A Crown of Sword, and The Path of the Dagger, uh, because there's a major plot line that is created and ended in those books. Uh, but, uh, just let me... Apologize in advance <laughs> for making you read these three in a row with no break. Uh, because this is where we start the uh, Wheel of Time slog uh, that people complain about. But uh, there's some great stuff in here. And uh, don't don't get discouraged. Keep reading. It, it all works okay. out. Uh, so, so that's six, seven, and eight. Six, seven, and eight. The Lord of Chaos, A Crown of Swords, and The Path of Daggers. Um, and uh, they're kind of long. <laughs> as are all these books. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how long it takes you. And some people complain they're slow, um, but everything that happens in them is cool. Well, I am looking forward to it and uh, yeah, we'll, we'll get there when we get there. All right. All right. If you guys uh, listening would like to follow us on Twitter, uh, the podcast is at Triv Crucial. Uh, Michael is at Ahim, A-U-H-I-M. And I am at Brown underscore Aja. That's A-J-A-H. As in Varen Sedai, Brown Aja. I like 